Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always I'm joined by Will. I'm supposed to hit record. Murden, how is it going tonight, Will? These are next level professionalism you're getting from my end tonight at this stage. Uh, there's going to be a lot of biddenness for the first few minutes of this episode, I believe, because we've recorded this. We've done this. We've done a full dress rehearsal. We've <laughs> at, done a full dress rehearsal. At an elite level. So I'm expecting this to be sharp but bitter <laughs> because we are covering off on... Stuff that we've said that I failed to record. <laughs> Just that look in your eyes. Okay, we won't hang around tonight. Uh, this should be the sharpest Christmas ever episode we've ever done as I fumble through my first <laughs> sentence. All right, let's get into our 360. Deep breath. Oregon gets upset by Oregon State and the Pac-12 is dust. Yeah, they're done. Uh, it only took, it was going to take one hit for them to go out. And even if they had a run, they were probably unlikely anyway. So this one knocks them out. Good upset for the Beavs though. I know you'd be happy with that. Yes, I am. You said I would. You sent me a message, said I would be rock hard. I certainly was that. Plenty of blood flow. Uh, Michigan State get Northwestern in a letdown spot. Uh, disappointing for Northwestern after a big, big win last week against Wisconsin. They come up short against the most inconsistent team in the Big 12. Big yeah, 10. This is a really big upset here. So Northwestern were flying on the back of that victory over Wisconsin. Michigan State had been atrocious the last couple of weeks. For them to turn this around, get off to a good start, and then convert that into a victory is, is good for that program but absolutely crushing for Northwestern end of the day they do lose an opportunity to play in the playoff but are still very much in the control of being able to make the Big Ten championship game so it's not a complete loss for them but this one's got to hurt and the rest is pretty much going chalk which hasn't happened for a while but uh, everything else went as planned yeah, two, two upsets and everything else uh, the team you thought was going to win did. Straight up. Games were getting pulled all over the place and that, you know, is going to continue to be the way as the season progresses. But lots and lots of big rivalries going down this week, um, which we'll, we'll discuss in a little bit and the consequences of that into the national landscape. Uh, that brings us to a very brisk end of 360. Um, so an interesting game, an interesting weekend of college football and some juicy matches that we will get to in just a second. Before we do that, let's hit a quick bit of news. We are sharp tonight, dude. We are sharp. We're on. I can hear the bitterness in your voice, though. you got nothing for me. The tank's empty. Sarah Fuller makes history. She's the first female to play for a Power 5 team. She was the only kicker taken on this trip via Vanderbilt to Missouri. Uh, she was for, well, forced into action. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, but she was called by uh, head coach Derek Mason over the last week and said, hey, can you come and kick? We don't have anyone. She's the goalkeeper for the soccer team. And she said, yeah, let's have a crack. And she is going off as a result. Yeah, a massive, massive uh, media spiral around her at the moment. The play itself, incredibly underwhelming. She only had the one kickoff in the second half. Vanderbilt could get absolutely nothing going across the day. It would have been 
sweet to see her get a shot at a field goal, uh, but not to be, so good for her for taking it on. Obviously, there's going to be a lot coming at her on the back of this now, but she's put her name out there. It's good for women's spot, uh, sport, so uh, excellent, excellent stuff. Yeah, I mean, she obviously was probably hoping that Vanderbilt didn't score too much and she'd have to do a whole heap of work, but imagine if she had to like kick a field goal for the win or something, that would have been... 35 yard of the win. But also Oof. good. Um, but well done to her and, and congratulations on taking the challenge on, accepting it, rolling with it and doing a fantastic job. Uh, Nick Saban gets Corona. He didn't coach in the Iron Bowl. His first game missed since 1973, which is unbelievable. That is crazy. That's a crazy start. It's a thing. Going back to graduate assistant back then to have not missed a game between now and then, just for something like I don't know, have a kid or something. I don't, I don't know. He's, he's obviously he does got have a, kids as well. Yeah, well, he's got it planned out to the point where that happens in the off season. He's a clever exactly. man. He's all over it and missed for the first time. Gross unis this week. Oregon, Oregon State, which was like. I don't know, like literally poking yourself in the eyeballs with flaming torches, watching those two teams through the thick fog. Uh, Michigan State, who, if you didn't know how to spell state before this weekend, watch Michigan State, you'll certainly know, or just look at Mike Leach's jumper. Uh, (laughs) Indiana playing in the camo, USF in their high-vis operation as well. Uh, don't know how I feel about all these, but not great, probably. Yeah, I was big on all of them. A few highlighter pens getting around, especially that oh. Oregon Oregon State game. But I, I think I thought it looked cool. I thought they pulled it off, and I'm all for all that gear. Oh, you are. Uh, now, Ohio State and Illinois got cancelled, uh, which in and of itself, not necessarily the biggest of news in terms of the result of that game. It wasn't a, a highly touted matchup by any means, but what does this mean for, because I do want to have a bit of a chat, what does this mean for Ohio State in or through the lens of the national championship semifinals or the playoff perspective? Because we're now at a point where the first playoff poll has come out. People are talking and discussing, whether it's coaches, media, your friends, it's all on um, different social media outlets. Everyone's talking now about, well, what does the next group out need to do? So the next group out of teams between five and kind of 10, what do they need to do for them to be able to make a push here into the playoff? And what are the teams that currently sit in the top four, those incumbents, what do they need to do to actually fall out? So Alabama at one, Notre Dame at two, Ohio State three, Clemson four, is that right? Or switch those last two maybe. Yeah. Um, Clemson three, Ohio State four, whatever it is. Um, But what needs to happen there for the next ones to get in? So the teams I'm talking about are Texas A&M, Florida, BYU, Cincy are all undefeated. Well, the the two group of fives are undefeated. Um, You know, what do those two teams need to do in order to get in? And what do the top four teams need to happen to them to ensure that it gives everyone else a chance? So we've got a much clearer picture now. We're at that point of the year where it's really been narrowed down and and each week we're going to have teams eliminated from the running and there's going to be a few that are left out and then it'll get to championship week and and there's going to be spots on the line. But starting with Ohio State, they're a really interesting one. Having uh, not played this weekend due to a game being cancelled on them, they now have run the risk of one more cancellation and they do not qualify to be able to 
put forward a team to the playoff or, or their conference championship. So uh, if anything happens there, they could certainly be in trouble as long along with them having a loss too. I, th- I think that kind of knocks them out of the conversation as well. So Ohio State really need to be able to play their games and they need to win them for, for them to stick around, which is kind of a, a tough spot for a team that I think both of us think is very good and, and very yeah, they, deserved they, to be in that top echelon. F- for sure. They're just in a tough spot. The Big Ten kicking off later than the other schools. They just don't have the resume there. And also the Big Ten being a little bit weaker this year. They... You know that high and what's their best win? Indiana, like cool. Uh, so they, they, you're right. I don't think they can afford a loss. And if they do have one somewhere, if someone sneaks up on them, then I think you got to scratch him. Yep. No, certainly. And then you look at the other ones. I mean, you've got Alabama who are cruising at the moment. They'll come up against Florida, and the winner of that one's I coming. I don't think they can miss now, can they? Even if they lose the championship game. I tend to agree with you. I think Alabama are almost a lock. I think they've got a LSU coming this weekend. If they drop that and then the championship oh, game, that, that would be enough for them to go out. But you're right. Like it's, it's unlikely to see that happening. And even with a loss in the their conference championship they're probably coming through there florida need to win the conference championship to come in if they do then they automatically get a bid there fairly well what if uh, what if they run the table and play alabama close lose by a field goal at the end it, can they jump in we start getting real hypothetical about other results and stuff there there i wouldn't have thought so because they have the loss to texas a&m it's not kind of like uh, a, another team where that loss is it's a team that is vying for the spot that they lost to so they would kind of lose out on that there I think of the undefeated teams that you mentioned in the group of five the initial ranking that we saw of BYU at 14 gives us an indication that they're not in the running that there's nothing that they can do to get a jump they, they don't have a game on their schedule to improve in the minds of the voters that they deserve a spot so i can't see any way that that can happen for them cincinnati on the other hand are the one if things were to get crazy that they could potentially slide in at that four spot but craziness really needs to get going we need clemson to lose beforehand and have two losses and then beat notre dame and uh, Ohio State to not be able to play and lose and some weirdness to happen in the SEC. If all of that goes down, Cincinnati's a shot, but I think it's very much on the outside at this point in time. Just coming back to that SEC stuff, I'm not a massive fan of, of teams that don't play in the championship game, but I still could get pushed in. So in your example there, if um, if Alabama beat Florida in the, in that championship game and and it gets run close, then Alab- then Texas A and M after not playing would jump in after already losing to Alabama, and this is where I don't love that situation because Florida are doing everything in their control. They've done the right thing, but all they're going to do by by winning or by putting it making it close is put Texas A and M in, <laughs> like after A and M have already lost to Alabama I just don't quite get how sitting out with your one loss puts you in a good enough spot I just I think that if you if you're vying for a top four position you have to be in your championship game and that late loss counts for so much in a negative way that I think is really really harsh on those teams vying particularly for the you know maybe third and fourth spot 
Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think you shouldn't be penalised for making your conference yeah. championship. I, I think that, that should certainly be the aim of teams. And to get a bit of a leg up by sitting out of it, it just seems a bit wrong and, and there's something a bit off in that. Okay, let us move into our game recaps. We do have a lot to get through. There are four categories that Will has put together, which he's super excited about. We did this last week. So most impressive, the chaos games of the week. Um, because of the implication is category number three. And the fourth is those teams that studied the playbook. Um, I'll talk you through them a little bit more. But let's start with our most impressive effort. And it may have been most impressive. It also may not be depending on, on your interpretation. But let's take Washington and Utah. Morris looking that way. Scrambling. Fires. Caught. Martin. Touchdown, Washington. Yeah, what a fantastic 88-yard drive by the new quarterback at Washington. He leads them to a 24-21 lead. And then Trent McDuffie intercepts Peyton Ramsey to ice the game and cap that 21-point halftime deficit to a win. A game of two halves where Washington scoreless in the first half, Utah scoreless in the second, and Utah had a win probability of 95% in this one, but could not get it done. Yeah, fantastic turnaround by Washington in this one, and always a good sign of good coaching when you're able to go in, make some adjustments, and then turn things around in your favor. There was All the momentum was with Utah in this one. They were looking the goods. Dylan Moses, quarterback at Washington. Dylan was Moses? Not, uh, so, Dylan Morris. Dylan Moses playing quarterback now. That's yeah, he's a weapon. I back him in. Uh, but <laughs> Dylan, Dylan Morris, uh, quite a different player to uh, Dylan Moses too. A <laughs> few things going on there, but uh, he he looked average in the first half. He, he wasn't. I was oh. quite critical of him when I was chatting with you on this. Uh, then he really seemed to turn things around in that second half and, and generate a bit of offense. Uh, they got things going in that third quarter, ran it tight, and then managed to get up late there. So massive, massive victory for this Washington team, moving them to 3-0 and in the Pac-12 and really getting them in the box seat for that conference. Uh, so they'd be thrilled with that. Utah looked a lot better than their opener, but still would be ruining missed opportunities in this one and the fact that they let this slip. Yeah, I mean, coming back to Dylan Morris, he did turn it over three times and some pretty bad ones in the first half. He, his footwork is sloppy at times and his, his launch point isn't there always, which we see on an NFL level. We see it with Pat Mahomes. We see it. Drew Brees has made a career doing it as a smaller guy, passing the ball that way. And those guys make it look great. But when a freshman QB tries it, it doesn't look so good. And they really need to get their feet around and really talk that body, get some juice behind it. Otherwise, you end up seeing that listless throw down the right sideline, which two Utah guys could have picked off. Um, and, you know, but to his credit, he rallied and he, and he rallied the Huskies with 272 yards and that big TD that we heard to Kate Otten with under a minute remaining. Uh, like you said, Utah have been much improved, which was great. And, and I think a big reason for that is Jake Bentley. He made a couple of really athletic plays 
Um, he was pretty solid with his arms, with his legs, but they look a step back. Washington, whilst they have improved steadily as the season has progressed, they don't appear to be in the top echelon either, which is not saying too much uh, if you're in the Pac-12 especially. No, absolutely. Absolutely not. Um, the other one that I want to slide in here in this most impressive performance category is the East Carolina Pan- uh, Pirates. So don't get a lot of airtime on this program here, but they have had a fantastic outing this morning. And that's on the back of seven second half points. All right, that's not all that great. But this East Carolina team were going up against a very powerful SMU program. They were two touchdown underdogs, and they scored 45 points in the first half. They put up touchdowns on all six of their first drives and then uh, a field goal, I think it was, and on the last. Good then went into the well. half and then just kind of... Put the foot, off the, foot off the gas, yeah. R- yeah. Rolled it into the garage at home and, and managed to get away with a two-touchdown win. That's a good performance against a very class outfit in the Mustangs. Great shout by you. Okay, chaos game. So these three games we have here, are any things that have upset the apple cart in terms of unpredictability, upset, spoilers, and also any games that just got a little bit freaky? So we'll talk about one particular one that occurred down in Stillwater. But let's start in another team that plays in orange and black, and that is the Oregon State Beavers taking on the Ducks. Nolan will try to sneak it, and he pushes in. Amazing. Wow. His first play for the Beavers is a touchdown that puts Oregon State ahead with 33 seconds to go. Yeah, Chance Nolan. I mean, that commentator was so excited. Wow. Uh, he scores on a one-yard keeper that put the Beavs up for good, 41-38. to Jamar Jefferson was the man again in this one. I thought he was a little bit sporadic last week. I'm, not every 100-yard outing is created the same way. Last week, he scores on a 75-yard opening run, and I thought, you know, yep, he's set for a big day, and he only sort of just eased his way to 130 yards. A lot of that came on the last drive as well. So he had a lot of carries in the middle there where he didn't go too far. The same thing, I think he was at risk of happening again. He houses the his first touch from scrimmage 82 yards this week, which is absolutely unbelievable. But he manages to go for 226, had his way, particularly getting towards the edges of this defense. We saw them run a lot of stretch zone uh, running plays, and he was just able to pick his way through. He's strong at the point of attack and then can accelerate through the hole. Uh, Tristan Jebbia was really good as well. He put up 263 yards through the air. So they were pretty balanced, and it makes this Oregon defense look really, really patchy. We've spoken about all the misses and all the losses and all the opt-outs they've had over the course of the season. Um, which has been disappointing for them, but it means that they're now getting gashed all over the place by the run and the pass. Oregon have now made a bit of a habit here of letting teams get up on them early and then allowing too many big plays, um, allowing their opposition to force their way back in the game. And Mario Cristobal said that and said, we're just struggling to finish at the moment. That's exactly what happened. The Civil War nickname is gone from this particular rivalry and as is the Pac-12 slim chance at a playoff contender. Yeah, yeah, dead right. They are 
gone. The, the hopes are gone with Oregon's loss there. But the last two minutes of this game is like peak college football. It, it, it is... <laughs> Like an underdog coming from the clouds, getting it done, craziness happening, like coaches getting getting up in arms, the refs getting involved with stuff, some some crazy plays, people getting hurt, and then kids coming in for their first snap ever to uh, make the game winning play. Like when it's all on the line, it was nuts, and and it was great watching, and, and I loved every minute of it. It's great to see an underdog get up in these situations, uh, because. Because they have been a bad team for a long time, Oregon State, mm. and and they're on the improve. So you like to see these stories when uh, when they've done a good job with uh, the new head coach that they have in there, and to be able to turn it around and and steal a victory in this manner is is awesome for them, and and that kind of really set, makes their year. Yes, it it really blows up Oregon's, but it does make Oregon State so. This was a really entertaining matchup and one that uh, I'm glad I got to watch the, the back end of. Yeah, fantastic win for the Beavs. And that I feel like I've got my one for the year. It was Purdue a couple of seasons ago. I don't know that last year I got one. Maybe I didn't, I don't think. Um, but this year I've got one with the Beavs, so I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I like it. All right, let's head across to the Big Ten Northwestern. After their big win last week against Wisconsin, take on Michigan State. Flushed out Ramsey. Trying to keep it going on this drive, and it's underthrown and nearly picked off. Or is it? It is intercepted by Shakur Brown. His second interception of the game. Yeah, Shakur Brown manages to intercept the pass and also knock the hell out of Berkeley Holman. He was put on a cart. Uh, he was moving his arms, so hopefully he's walking and talking and breathing and stuff um, because he was not in good shape. Uh, from there, Rocky Lombardi led the Spartans to a field goal that would put them up 23-20 to 20 and keep them distanced for good. Uh, it was the 17-0 start, though, that Northwestern gave up. They came out sluggish, came up slow, and whilst Ron Rocky Lombardi only completed 11 passes for the entirety of the game, he made big plays early down the field, and that was enough for them to kind of hold on. Northwestern did fight their way back into the game. They got things squared away, but it was just too much. They used too much energy to, to bring themselves equal. And the letdown got them. Michigan State is still not good. Like, they're real bad still. But they got a bit out of the running game today, over 200 yards. So that certainly helps things as well. Uh, and a, a really kind of disappointing come down for Northwestern. Absolutely it is. This is the uh, Abe Simpson meme of him walking into the restaurant, uh, putting his hat on the on the rack, and it was Northwestern joining the spotlight. They beat Wisconsin, they're in the top 10, they're looking like a Big Ten challenger, and then Michigan State, who had lost a combined 70, 79 to 6 the, the two weeks previous, 73 to 6, something ridiculous like that then turn around and, and beat them. So they just quickly hightail their way out of the bar and they're done from the national spotlight. Luckily enough for them, as I mentioned in the, in the lead-off, I think this time around, the, they are still in the box seat for 
themselves to make the Big Ten championship game. So they just need to beat Minnesota and Illinois to be able to make it in that spot there, which is very doable for this team. It's very good. Uh, Full credit for for Michigan State here and and being able to get that run game going. This is a very talented Northwestern defense, well-coached. They've done a really good job of containing people this year, and and Michigan State were able to get something going, get a push up front, and get a few gash plays in there. That uh, Especially Rocky Lombardi, I feel like, with his legs, was was able to pick up a few uh, first downs. He's bad. Passing the ball, I agree, but he did make some plays and move the sticks at critical moments uh, against a very sound defense. So that was enough. Northwestern not built to come from 17 nil back. It's just not what they do. They're not an explosive team on offense. They, they're, they're a good team to watch, but this is the risk that they run. I think we mentioned it in our preview show. That yeah, we did. Well done, this, us. This could potentially happen if something crazy like this does happen, and unfortunately it has hit them here. So... What, what, what do you know about Michigan State? I mean, they're, they're a team that beat Michigan and beat Northwestern and then they're getting dominated by other programs. Like, they are all over the shop. Uh, it's The Big Ten is quickly turned, gone more sideways than everyone else. Yeah, speaking of going sideways, uh, this game, this next game that we're going to talk about, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech down in Stillwater, Oklahoma, uh, the Cowpokes get away with a win, 50-44. to 44. Probably didn't feel quite that close, I don't think. It seemed like Oklahoma State were in the game, although there was a couple of onside kicks. There was turnovers galore. There was lots of yards, lots of points. Um, take us through it, Will. I don't really know how I feel after this game. Violated, it was an, it, it, I mean, yeah, it was it was a nuts matchup. It, it was a proper shootout in the Wild West, like a couple of old school Big Twelve programs going out of old school, like that that whole defensive thing notion's gone out the window now, apparently. And we almost had a hundred points put up in this one on Oklahoma State's side, and that's where I'm going to start and spend most of my time, as I'm sure you will uh, point out. But they they managed to return an onside kick to the house and get points in on uh, special teams. They had a 60-yard pick six. that They got the points there. And, and then a big day from Desmond Jackson on the ground. They really lent on him. Fourth biggest uh, stat line put up by a running back in the Gundy era. So there's been some very talented running backs that have come through that program. So that's uh, an incredible effort there. He had the three touchdowns and the two 30-odd yards uh, could have been four touchdowns, kind of slid in on the goal line uh, as time was expiring or in order to kneel it out and, and ice this one. But he was really, really impressive for a guy who's a third stringer. Uh, ha- hadn't seen more than 18 carries like o- across his entire career. Doubled that in this one and just went nuts. Uh, stood up under pressure there. On the Texas Tech side, I think Alan Bowman has just not taking that step. I think as a freshman, he came on, was letting it rip. Uh, they were winning games, losing games, but there, there was a lot of freedom to that. And and you could kind of get away with it when you're in a freshman and, and your team's kind of building around you and, and you get a little bit more leeway. Now, at a couple of years on from that, you expect better. You need better from your quarterback. He's still making those same mistakes. The The read on the pick six was a really bad one. He put the ball in jeopardy a few too many times, uh, and that really hurt them. I think it was their running back, uh, Sir, Sir Rondrick Thompson. Yeah. Is that it? 
who, who, who managed to get a couple of really big gash plays on the ground uh, that he took for touchdowns that stood out uh, offensively for them. They kept chipping away Texas Tech. Uh, as you mentioned, it felt like a, a bit more of a one-sided affair. Like I, I didn't think that Oklahoma State were going to lose at any point, but mm. they certainly could have. Like Texas Tech were floating around. They were certainly in the game. They just needed a break to go their way, and it didn't really happen. So it was an entertaining Big 12 matchup. Uh, if you're up at 3.30, you got your uh, sleep deprivation's worth. All right, let's continue on. So the Cowpokes survive, and their slim chances of a Big 12 championship remain. But they needed this result to go their way. This had big implications for the Big 12, and that is Iowa State and Texas. Yeah, Cameron Dicker pushes his 58-yard effort just to the left. And you heard the cannon go off in Texas Stadium, which means they thought it was going to hit. And it just misses to the left. I watched the second half of this game, and I know I get into this habit of defending the losing team, but I thought Texas controlled this game for majority of it, and the scoreboard reflected that. They trailed, the Cyclones did, uh, for majority of the day before Brees Hall did score. Um, he barreled in from the three-yard line, and they got the upset there. But Rocky, uh, Brock, oh, I don't say Rocky, Rocky Lombardi, Brocky Purdy, Brock <laughs> Purdy um, spent a lot of time hooking up with Charlie Kolar and Dylan Siner, um, his two big tight ends. They didn't really take the top off too much. Like they're, they're both NFL looking bodies. Certainly Charlie Kolar is. He's a big, big dude, um, but he's more of a chain moving type operator. Dylan um, Siner. Spent a little bit of time. He, he kind of run the seams a, a little bit and was better on the intermediate routes, but they don't have too many options out wide, and it's really Brees Hall and the two tight ends. Uh, there was a couple of calls as well. Texas had an opportunity to go up. Hey, we're back. This is new. This is, We're covering new ground right now. We're covering new ground. So this is good news. Texas had an opportunity to go up by seven points with eight minutes left. They had fourth and two on the Iowa State 13 and up by four points. It was kind of a situation where you're like, well, do you kick the field goal, put yourself up by seven, or do you go for it there and look to put yourself up by 11? You are one of the believers in going for it on fourth down all the time in plus territory. And I sort of get the call because Texas's defense has, had held... Well, actually, in lots of ways, I don't get the call because Texas defense had held Iowa State out of the end zone, except for, um, you know, early in the, in the first quarter where Iowa State scored. They hadn't been in the end zone for the rest of the game. So kick the field goal, put yourself up by seven, and then trust your defense. They didn't do that. They went for it. They got stoned on fourth down. So they lead by four. Um, and... From there, Iowa State walked down and, you know, get that three-yard rushing touchdown. The other big play, which I probably should have mentioned earlier, was the third down sack that Ellinger took before Cameron Dicker's field goal attempt as time expired. 
he had 26 seconds left on the clock and i have now got a theory i don't know if this adds up or not and when you're coming to the end of the game and um you've got time on the clock i believe that you should be looking to make about a yard per second i feel like that's manageable i like this about about 30 seconds to go so he was at about the 50 I think if you've got 29 seconds on the clock, which is what he had, you should be looking to get down a, maybe about 29 yards. I think that's what you'd be looking at. This that's is very, very Lee Matthews. Like you need to be able to kick a goal a minute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he got zero. In fact, he went minus four yards in the last 29 seconds. And that just can't happen because we know Cameron Dick has got the leg, but don't make him kick a 57-yarder. Make him kick a 47-yarder. Like, even if you take a quick out for five yards and get out of bounds, that's better than trying to hit the home run ball, maybe, and giving nothing. Like, they just did nothing. And Sam Ellinger, time and time again, when he's got a big game, big moment, good opposition, game on the line, he comes up small. And we've seen it a couple of times this year. We saw it last year. His first season, or his sophomore season, sorry, he was good. But in the previous two years, any time Texas has needed him to go crazy, he hasn't, which has been really disappointing. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head here with a number of the plays that you've called out because Texas have really shot themselves in the foot in this one. They, They had every opportunity. They were controlling the game early on. They had a a fake punt that they tried that didn't come off and, and looked pretty bad. They had that fourth and one that they got stuffed on and then they gave up that sack that made it a 57-yarder that he's almost snuck inside. Like all of these things here are just kind of those coin toss ones that have gone the other way against them and, and they need to find something in, in one of those and we probably get a different result here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a fun fact here around Iowa State in this program. So leading into this game... Uh, in games against top 25 opponents in the month of November, they were 0-43 before this one. Wow. So, so they, got, they got that off the back for the first time uh, ever, and that, that's massive for this program. So Matt Campbell has done excellent things. I think he's certainly booked himself a big pay rise somewhere. He's going to be a big name this offseason around Maybe some of the big... Texas. <laughs> Some of the all the big programs that come up, he's certainly going to be on the short list. There'll be some NFL jobs potentially mm-hmm. uh, where he'll be discussed too. So he's done a fantastic job here. I, I, after that early loss at Iowa State, I didn't think this team was all that much this year. Like Iowa State's early loss to whomever it was out of conference, Arkansas State, or yeah, like like it it was a bad Sun Belt opponent that they dropped and, and I felt some of the luster had started to shine off because he had done a really good job the last couple of years but f- from what he's been able to turn around from that to now is his most impressive effort yet they, they had mm. that they dropped Oklahoma State but since then they've beaten Oklahoma they've beaten Texas they're in the box seat for the Big 12 that like this he's done a fantastic job there Brees Hall is the man like he, he led down got the score again He's having a fantastic season, so full credit to Iowa State. Yes, Texas had their shots and blew them, but Iowa State of uh, having that really, really successful year in the Big 12. Does Sam Ellinger come back? It's a good question because he he's a Texas kid. 
I don't, I don't know Texas if you. I, I don't know if you know this. The Texas hero actually is what I've heard before. But yeah, and like, I feel he's it's not, a bit. He's not going to the NFL as a quarterback. He's Tim Tebow two point He's I, the, he's a better passer. But yeah, so, yeah. So like, I th- I think there might be an NFL future for him. I don't think he's going to be a starting what level, position? but I think he could fullback. No, I think I think he could be a quarterback. I think he'd be a backup Oof. in the right situation. Uh, but he it's a bit harsh to put it on him to say he comes up short because it's often like he's battling his ass out and he's just not getting oh. the support he needs for these things to happen. Yes, it's all on him and yes, he gets seen as the guy not making it happen. But I think some like he does a lot of stuff to get them to where they need to be or in a position where they potentially can. And I guess that's the whole definition of falling short. But yeah, I, I mean, that's the nature of playing quarterback though. You get the praise when you're going well and, when you're not, the loss falls on you. And he missed uh, Brandon Eagles as well. Just put a ball slightly out of reach. And, like, they're just plays you have to make it. And we know, we've spoken about this before in these close games, the game actually comes down to six or seven plays. Um, it doesn't come down to the other 140. It is those six or seven plays that really count. And he's come up short again. Anyway, moving on, staying in implication-related games. Notre Dame 31, North Carolina 17. This game was built up hugely. um, And the teams were tied at 17 going into the half. But from there, the most potent second-half scoring team in the country scored a grand total of zero points. To me, that is the most impressive stat of the day that Notre Dame's uh, defense just came up massive. There were some question marks around it because they hadn't had the best previous fortnight, but they held Javante Williams to 11 carries and 28 yards. UNC managed just 87 yards total on the ground at 2.9 yards a, uh, a carry. That is not good. And to do what they did up front, to do what they did with that offensive line um, in terms of of Notre Dame being able to overcome those injuries to the interior of of that line and give Ian Book all the time in the world was fantastic. They managed to get to Sam Howe six times as well. Um, Yeah, just a really, really solid, solid win, I think, for Notre Dame and a win that they just had to have. They continue their march and, and, you know, and now Brian Kelly is within one win of the all-time lead of Notre Dame head coaches, which is really impressive. Yeah, you're right. This was uh, one that they had to win. It was a tough spot on the road, Chapel Hill against a good, albeit somewhat up and down, patchy North Carolina team, but but an aggressive unit that had been putting up yards and points in bursts and... Notre Dame made sure that they shut that down at the half. They gave up 58 yards in the second half in total. Like That's phenomenal against a team that has had as much success as Notre Dame has had, running both running the ball and with Sam Howe through the air. So full credit to them. They were having a party in the backfield there. I think they had six sacks across the day, so they were getting that penetration. They're looking like a really complete team. They are a team that has got better and better with every week that has passed, and they're building towards this back half of the year, and I love it. We've got an ACC that has two genuine contenders in it, and and the ACC championship game is, is going to be a ripper for the first time in quite some time. I wish I could say the same about the Big 12, but that's just not the case. All right, the other game in this space, Texas A&M beat LSU 20-7 in a snooze fest. 
I don't have anything on this, but Texas A&M do win again, which is important for them staying relevant. Yeah, absolutely. They, they needed to win. Uh, LSU got the backdoor cover late in this one. Uh, so I'm hoping no one had money on the Aggies out there because that one would have hurt. But they did what they needed to do. And it was on the back of their defense in this one. So Kellen Mond was somewhat underwhelming. Uh, mm. Isaiah Spiller on the ground was, was, was really good again. And he's proving to be one of the top running backs in the country. He's taking a lot of carries for his yards, though. Like He's getting himself beat up pretty good. He's churning through it, but he's going to be a Sunday footballer, I think, out of that program there. So they look really good. Defensively, they were good. And LSU continue to struggle. This is not any. This is not the shell of last year's LSU team. So I don't think anyone expects that from them. This was a result that we thought we would see. And A&M are, are in a, a pretty decent spot. Yeah, okay. Let's head into our next series of teams and games this is those teams that studied the playbook during the week uh let's start in the iron bowl uh alabama 42 auburn 13 this game wasn't close tank bigsby played for auburn in this one there was some doubt whether he would get going and he did devonta smith scored in the opening quarter on a busted coverage and from that point it only put them up seven nothing but you sort of felt like auburn couldn't blow coverages they were going to be playing with small margins small windows for error and to bust a coverage like that wasn't good alabama then marched the field put them up 14 nothing in the seven quarter then the route was on alabama dominated along the offensive line my boy joe nix um was getting to his drop and just sort of having to release but he was trying to throw these like hot fastball seam routes all the time that were getting there quickly on a rope but no one could could hold them he stares down his receivers in the quick game like if you're an if you are an opposition cornerback and he gets to that two step or three step drop or even one step drop in out of shotgun just you know shoot your guns and get your eyes on the ball because he just does not look off um defensive backs at all and he was just staring them down there was multiple times where balls could have been picked or he had to just chuck them in the dirt or out of bounds because he's just too predictable so having said that he's moved from bad to frustrating some of his passes look elite like he's got he's technically sound when he can get stable and organized but some are really terrible Uh, mac jones was so so impressive 300 yards five touchdowns can navigate the pocket he can um, manipulate safeties he can drop the ball with touch which we saw on that corner route um, and he can throw with anticipation which was you know how Joe Burrow made his money last year he's starting to do the same sorts of things and um, that touchdown he threw on play action to Mechie was fantastic over two defenders um, so he's got looks like he's got all the tools that three-star kid not playing like a three-star at the moment no, certainly not. You're, uh, Mac Jones kind of was an absolute highlight machine in just how sound he was uh, in his ball placement, in doing what he needed to do to, to move this machine along. Uh, this Alabama team is really scary at the moment. Historically, they've kind of had a weakness somewhere. Like it's it's the kicking game, or there's something, there's an element of their offense, or something like they're banged up somewhere on the defense. There, there, there tends to be something you can kind of hang on to and go that there's a hole here. You look at this. 
package that we have at the moment and it is complete. Like there are no holes in this team and they are showing that by just blowing everyone out by 30 points plus at the moment. They they look to be really, really good. The ground game is awesome with Najee Harris. Mac Jones is in complete control of the offense and the defense is a Nick Saban defense. Like they are technically sound. They are all kids with supreme... Now supreme athletic ability like they this team is is absolutely phenomenal and flying at the moment and this was not this is an opportunity for them to slip up in a big rivalry we've seen it happen plenty of times before where Auburn come as an, in as an underdog and, and pull something crazy out that just wasn't on the script today Alabama weren't buying it stomped them out like they have everyone else this year and they continue to roll I wasn't going to play it but I will. Man, it just, it, I hate to rag on a kid time and time again, but he's just not it. And Auburn need to move on. I also think they need to move on from Gus Malzahn. He looked lost. Uh, okay, into the ACC. Clemson crushed Pitt 52-17. to Kenny Pickett throws three interceptions. And Trevor Lawrence in his comeback game looks really good. He goes for over 400 yards, two touchdowns. And Clemson put the cue in the rack pretty early and do things at a canter. They look like such a different team with Trevor Lawrence at the helm. Don't they, Just? And interestingly, or maybe not that interestingly, but in interviews after the game, he was very much indicating that this was his last game in Death Valley, that he would be kind of... You know, he loved the fans and the support and he had such a good time here, but it was kind of a bit of a swan song there. So he has flagged his intentions to move it on. Surprise, surprise, the NFL and what will be the number one draft pick. Yep, which so he should. <laughs> like That's like one of the worst kept secrets. All right, other games. So we obviously hadn't hit everything. So let's go through in some sort of conference order. Not that I've got an order because I can't do the alphabet apparently. Um, but we'll go in the Big 12 Baylor score the last 10 points of the game, including a John Mays field goal for the win to overcome a reeling K-State 32-31. Go you Bears as they get a little bit of momentum heading into the back part of the season and K-State not in a good place. Yeah, field goal for the win. Always good to say. TCU whooped Kansas 59-23. to We're not going to bother with that. I think they completed got... six passes. TCU or Kansas? TCU. Oh, wow. I'm scared to see the running numbers in that one. Some yeah, dudes no. must have put some I mean, keep, keep moving that along and I'll, I'll bring this back up because it's, it's quite, a, quite a stat line. Okay, ACC, Syracuse spiked the ball on fourth and goal. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they take a big sack uh, on third and goal. They get lined up with kind of 14 seconds to go. And they've got to pull the trigger. And the commentator said, don't spike the ball. Don't spike the ball. And sure enough, spikes the ball. Fourth down, turnover. Um, so they fall to NC State 36-29, despite leading for a long period of that game. BC beat Louisville 34-27. And the Duke turnover machine was in full swing again as they added five. That is five. Four fumbles and an interception as they lose to Georgia Tech 56-33. These TCU numbers will hit me. Okay, so Max Duggan, you'll you'll enjoy this, went 3 of 11 on the day. 3 of 11 for 96 yards and (laughs) 3 touchdowns. No. 100% touchdown rate. That's unreal. They had uh, Matt Downing come in too, went 3 for 4. So on the day, they were 6 of 15 for 106 yards. 
uh, and ran the ball 41 times for 337 yards with six uh, total players carrying the rock for them. Wow, that's what you do against Kansas, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that shortens the game. Just get them out of there. All right, in the SEC, Ole Miss 31 beat Mississippi State 24. This was my chaos game of the week, and it just never really got to any great dizzying heights in terms of either gameplay or craziness. That Mississippi State offense looks totally beatable. I feel like we almost could call a defense. Well, actually, I couldn't, but could call a defense. To, like, it's a real... Um, Whilst, whilst it does have the ability to take the top off the defense and they can go, they can air it out for sure. If you keep safeties and you play some quarters coverage or some, you know, match cover two, they, they, they're forced to check down and you get them to check down all the time. They've got, they hit those hot, well, not necessarily hot routes, but those quick throws. And it's just, you're just sitting in zones and you just come up and you crush them. It's like the old Tampa 2 defenses are suited so well to this air raid. You get pressure with the front four. Ole Miss should have won this game by more. Um, so nothing too hectic here, but Ole Miss win the Egg Bowl. They do. Good. Thank you for that addition. Well, Florida crush Kentucky 34 to 10. Kyle Pitts is going to win the Mackey Award for the nation's best tight end. And that continues Florida's run towards a uh, playoff. So they're going to do everything they possibly can from here. And I think they're one of the hotter teams in the country that won't probably make it. Uh, Missouri 41, Vanderbilt 0. Georgia beat up on South Carolina 45-16. to 16. Anything on those SEC games, William? Not those ones, Mark. In the Big Ten, Iowa 26, Nebraska 20. Indiana beat Maryland 27-11. to 11. So Indiana continue on their sort of merry way. It was a little bit tight there through the third quarter, but they overcome the Terps. Penn State get by Michigan 27-17. Michigan quarterbacks suck. Um, they flip-flopped again, and this is the most irrelevant matchup between these two teams in years. Rutgers beat Purdue 37-30, to and Greg Schiano's got them pointing in the right direction. That is the Scarlet Knights. Certainly does. That's a massive turnaround for a program that had lost 21 straight in the Big Ten to have now gone and grabbed a couple of wins uh, this year is, is awesome and, and quick turnaround that you don't normally see. It, it normally takes a bit of time for a coach to get back into it, but obviously he's moved back into that old, old office nicely and yeah. getting results. Does Jim Harbaugh get fired before the season's end, yes or no? I believe so, yes. Does James Franklin get fired before the season he does not coach no. of Penn State no okay interesting in the Pac-12 Stanford 24 beat Cow 23 irrelevant game UCLA beat Arizona 27 to 10 that is just about everything the only other game I will mention because I know you're desperate to talk about it is Buffalo and Kent State two undefeated teams in the MAC what happened in this one Will Jarrett Patterson happened in this one, my friend. So I'm sure most of you listeners have probably heard if you've just got had any casual kind of thoughts about college football this weekend because it is everywhere. He scored eight touchdowns on the day and ran for 409 yards. That's right. Eight touchdowns and 409 yards. Last two weeks, he's now gone for 12 and 700-something yards. Is, is that more than Mississippi State's had all year? 
Oh, if you take out that first game, absolutely. He no, he running the ball though. Oh, like yeah, no, it would definitely. be comfortably, absolutely. Yeah. That, that that's a huge game, and against a top foe like this isn't uh, an out of conference one where well they're normally the kind of the out of conference one they're getting beat up on but like you know what i mean it's not an fcs program they're doing against this is someone that they're competing for the conference championship with and he has just gone nuts he's a he's a smaller player uh go check out his highlights it's it's good it is a bit of a it's a, it's a bit of a watch i hope you've got a bit of time but uh that's a fantastic effort on his part to uh have such a day out there all right. Are there any other games that we need to discuss, Will? Uh, only the last one that I'll touch on. Coastal Carolina uh, had another win, Texas State, so they remain undefeated. All right, let's get into our rewind. Uh, for me this week, Ian Book's backhanded flip. Now, this wasn't anything that crazy. It was worth a look because the decision-making was horrible. He's rolling to his left. He's a right-hander. So rolling left is always dangerous because you've then got to get your hips flipped back around to try and throw the ball. He decided not to do that. So he was continuing to run left and just tried to like backhand pitch it about 10 or 15 yards as his arm's getting hit. It falls to about eight yards, but he completes the pass on third down. Um, if that had got this, the game was 17 all at this point and it was in... Um, North Carolina Territory. If that gets a fumble, if it gets picked, if anything happens there, North Carolina is scoring. That game looks very different. But he gets away with one. An interesting play, some interesting decision-making. I don't think the coaches will be teaching that one during the week. I liked it. That was a real gamer move there. I think you've <laughs> been a bit harsh there, kind of talking about if and tried to. Uh. <laughs> there's there's none of that. There was no tried to. There only was do, and he executed, and, and it was slick. But it was certainly a good play. I, I enjoyed that one. On my end, uh, the one this week's Andrew Booth Jr. at Clemson. Uh, made a pick, and he went full <laughs> like, I Superman. believe I can fly. Like, he was just <laughs> floating for what felt like longer than natural uh, and and made this pick. He he made his leap early and then just kind of managed to get in a really good spot and and clean it up. So have a look at that one. It's it's certainly an athletic play there. He's a freak as a freshman. All right, let's get some numbers. The Aussie boys, Will, how did they go this week? Okay, so our top Aussies this week, I had uh, Hayden Whitehead had uh, himself a, a good effort with seven punts and an average of 45 and a half yards. Reese Burns at Louisiana had three at 45. Lucas Dean continues his fantastic season uh, with three punts at 46.7. And, and I feel UTSA like we, won again as well. Yeah, they've won. I feel like we mention him every week. Like his mm. season-long average must be through the roof, so good for him. Trent Schneider is continuing his... Uh, back half. I think he might have been out early with a bit of an injury or something. He's come back booming him uh, at Southern Florida. So even though he did look like a fluoro lime highlighter, he was just doing work there. So three at 46 on the day. It continues his good work. And for mine, uh, the player of the week for us this week, Kirk Christodoulou. Uh, Average the 46.1, which is, you know, pretty good. But he did it on 10 punts. That's busy. He's getting work in there. So that's more just kind of like a go ice up your leg, mate. (laughs) I'm lucky to get 10 kicks a game these these days. (laughs) All right, let's get into bold predictions this week. This will be a short segment. So bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. 
All right, I had the um, of the ranked matchups. They'd be equal or down at half, and then come through and win. Alabama blew that one out the water for the afternoon for me. Although the first couple were pretty close, but Pepper needs new shorts. Oh. I'm no good. Yeah, okay. Uh, mine was an unfortunate casualty of COVID, so I can't uh, like a. I'm like a few other players, like a, a number of high-profile things. I think I hope when there's like new segments in the morning and they're talking about people, famous people who've got COVID now, that they can throw in my on the punt segment down in the little tracker down the bottom there because it has officially been nixed by it. So I had uh, the Sunshine State would shine or some shit like that, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> I. Uh, I got Florida over Kentucky, like whoop de doo well done me. Uh, I had uh, Florida State and Florida Atlantic to both get up in their games, and they were both canned due to the COVID. So I should have known that there's so much of it getting around in Florida that it was unlikely they were going to be able to play them. So did that's, that's bad State, on my point. Did Florida State have COVID or they just dodge another game? Is that what's yeah. happening there? <laughs> Are they scared of the uh, Cavs as well, you reckon? Well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> They're not having a good year, the Seminoles. So uh, maybe that's... Hey, it's not a bad play. You can't lose if you don't play. All right. Uh, let us go on the punt because I don't know if this is going to go well. Uh, I don't even know where to guess this week. I'm going to go with this one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's a safe bet. I'm it just, is a safe bet. That is the safest of bets in this section. Correct. If you could put money on where how this was going to go, which I think you can do because you can bet against me, uh, then <laughs> you're going to be in a good spot. So disappointing for me. It really came down to the old Miss game, uh, the old Miss Mississippi oh, yeah. Egg Bowl. I, I needed Ole Miss to cover. They were up ten late. Uh, Mississippi State were driving the field and managed to get one in quite late in the game, so, which which just kind of killed me and, and did me in. I, th- I, thought, I honestly thought they would win in a much more comfortable fashion than that, so I've come up on the wrong side there. So end of the week, I had uh, Texas to beat Iowa State, who tried fucking hard as they could to lose that game and, and pulled that out for them. So thanks, Texas. I had the old Miss one there, which is disappointing. Had Indiana... Uh, minus 11 and a half and they got it done so hey there's some money back in the account that's nice and I had Florida State over Virginia so I get that money back not a complete wash all good uh, and then I had a bit of a multi there too so all up on the week I lost another 3.2 units and we are now at negative 26.2 units Ooh. on the end it's, it's getting worse it is yeah the last three weeks I've lost money every week so Woof. Mm. All right. Uh, That brings us to the end of our week 13 recap. We've done this twice now, so I'm absolutely rooted. Uh, But thank you for joining us. Please, as always, make sure you hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at CFB Down Under. Make sure you leave us a review, subscribe to the show, tell all your friends and family uh, about all the things happening in college football. As we get close to the finish line now, the grind is on for us as well. Um, So... A lot of big games still to come, a lot of big matchups and a lot of things to work themselves out. As I said, thank you for joining. On behalf of that guy over there, on behalf of myself, thank you for joining us. And my name's Aaron, that's Will. I am knackered and I can't even get this outro right, but we will see you next time as I fall asleep on the table. <laughs>